This morning we're moving into a new series that'll take us through the end of May on the Psalms. We spent much of our last academic year in the book of James coming to that conclusion. Now we're going to spend eight weeks or so in the Psalms. And the title of this series will be called The Lyrics of Knowing God. And this morning I'm going to begin this series by looking at the first nine verses of Psalm 107. I'll look at the rest of that Psalm next week. Psalm 107 is one of my favorites. It's the first Psalm in the fifth book of the Psalms. And it's a Psalm that is is really unique. It has four accounts of four different people or groups of people, all who find themselves in in dire straits. They find themselves in a place of deep brokenness. Essentially, you could say they've come to the ends of themselves. And then there's a chorus. And the chorus is sung out or prayed out. And it's the exact same through each of the accounts. And the chorus goes like this. Then they cried to the Lord. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. Each of these accounts has that chorus. There's a verse in between that's unique to each of the accounts. And then there is a second part to the chorus that says, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. This morning, we're going to look as an introduction at the very first account and see the next three next week. So let's stand for the reading of God's word. Again, Psalm 107, it's printed in your bulletin. I'll read through verse Nine. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert waste, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he has satisfied the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father, as we come to your word, we want to be like the psalmist, to cry out to you, trusting that you will deliver us. Pray, Father, that you would teach us now from your word what it means as we lean into this psalm, this song, understanding the purpose of it in our lives, understanding how it draws us to you and teaches us about you. Do this now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What a morning. When I hear someone like Andrew sing, I am jealous. (laughs) Jealousy means that you want something someone else has. I want what he has. I won't get it. Not till heaven. Envy is I want what someone else has and I don't want them to have it. That's the difference between jealousy and envy. I don't envy Andrew. I want him to have what he has. It's God's gift to him. This church is blessed with so many people 
who have exceptional gifts in the area of music. We're blessed far beyond what we know really. Not even the people who can stand up as he did or be in our choir, but people who sit quietly in the congregation and, and have these gifts that they use sometimes just for recreation. But there's a lot of gifted people regarding music in this body. And music is a gift from God. It's God's creation. He made it. And he made us for it. It's something that will exist on into eternity. And so when we hear great music, when we read great music, when we experience great music, we need to remember it's God's. God is the one who created this. He's the one who created us for this. He's the one who uses it for his own glory. What we can't forget is that we're never, in this context, an audience. We are worshipers. And when someone is being used by God to bring him glory, we can be swept up in that. And that's a good thing. We can respond to that. That's not sinful. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. It's just wonderful. Music is powerful. And as far as we know, from the beginning, it always has been. Think about King Saul. In the chapter of 1 Samuel, just before David kills Goliath the giant, 1 Samuel says that the Spirit of God, and it's a capital S, had left Saul. It had been withdrawn. And then a, a spirit from the Lord, but a little s, a spirit of torment, had been given to Saul. And Saul had not been obedient. And as his soul was tormented, he cried out. And his prayer was this, or his request was this to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. And they sought David. David played the lyre. And when David played, Saul was refreshed and was well. Music is powerful. We know it's powerful from the cradle, cradle to the grave and for Christians beyond. When you were born, most likely someone held you and sang to you lullabies. As you got older, you learned to sing songs, nursery rhymes as well as songs of the church. As you got older, you learned to love music. Do you remember how old you were when you really began to love music and you began to love your own type or style of music? You bought a cassette or an eight track or vinyl or you downloaded something and it was a song that you loved. We love music. Many women begin planning their wedding and the songs of that service as well as the songs at the reception. What will they dance to? And some people, and I think this is really neat, began planning their memorial service. I've sat with many people who have files of pieces of a bulletin cut out, ready to say when that time comes, these are the songs I want. I have my list. I have a lot of songs. It's gonna be a long service. <laughs> Music is, is powerful. Many songs actually take us on a journey. In fact, I'd say most songs are about a journey. It's a story, some are specific in the journey. 
Songs are so powerful that they not only can be about a journey, but they can take us on a journey. They can, they can, they can cause us to be swept up in a moment. I can say certain lines of certain songs and you know immediately what that song is. And some of you almost might even move into kind of a trance. You're just there. It reminds you of something that's so moving. And sometimes it's just silly. For me, the very first song I ever downloaded on an iPod, you remember the iPod? I was very selective. I thought, if somebody ever asked me, what's the first song you ever downloaded? I wanna be able to tell them. I wanna remember what it is. But I also want it to be a song that I'm probably the only person that ever downloaded that song first. And so I did. I looked up C.W. McCall and the song Convoy. <laughs> Do you remember it? 1975, a number one hit. So good was the song that it went on to become a really bad movie. <laughs> it's a song about a journey. Breaker 1-9. This here's the rubber duck. You have a copy on me, Pigpen, come on. It was the dark moon on the 6th of June with the Kenworth hauling logs. Cab over Pete with a reefer on and a Jimmy hauling hogs. I was heading for Bear on I-10 about a mile out of Shaky Town. I said, Big Ben, this here's the rubber duck and I'm about to put the hammer down. <laughs> Are you hoping the sermon gets deeper? <laughs> I downloaded that song first. I think it's hilarious. I think it's awful. I don't listen to it very often, but it's a song about journeys. All songs are ultimately about a journey, silly or deep. They're about a movement. Sometimes, literally, it is an actual journey. When, when someone sings about a desert highway, when someone sings about a city that they're going to, when someone writes about a specific trip that they're moving on a train bound for nowhere, when somebody sings, they're, they're actually about movement. But there's also a different kind of journey. There's a journey when a man writes about a love for a woman or out of deep passion comes potentially deep brokenness in a relationship that's shattered. It's about a journey. And so are the songs that we sing in the church. Think about the journey of when we sing from life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. Or when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Do you remember when you first began to sing God's praise? And what's it going to sound like in heaven when it's perfect? You know, there's never, ever, even in this place, been a perfect song sung. As glorious as we think things are, there's still room for improvement. You and I can't hear it. We can't see it. But I promise you, the choir walks out at times going, mm. J. Marty, mm, we missed a note. I didn't hear it. You didn't hear it. But in heaven, it will be perfect for all eternity. Songs are about a journey. And songs actually are a journey. 
We can be swept up in the beauty of a song in such a profound way that we almost have a trance come over us. One example of this, and I think it's a beautiful example, is in the 1994 movie, Shawshank Redemption. If you've never seen the movie, it's rough, but beautiful. The acting's superb, it's well-written. There's a scene where a criminal who has favor with the warden, because he's an accountant, begins to do tax work for him, has access to his files. And as he's going through files, he comes across another box. And this box is a different sort of files. It's actually vinyl, it's albums. And there as he flips through these albums, he sees one. It's the marriage of Figaro, it's Mozart. It's two Italian women singing, and it's an opera. And he puts the vinyl on, and he sets the needle on. He's not heard music like this in some time, and he begins to listen to it. And at first, it's just for him. But then he realizes the treasure that he has in his possession. And he takes the intercom, and he puts the intercom next to it, and then he hits all the channels so that throughout the entire prison, every prisoner and Guard can hear this song. And except for the few that are trying to make it stop because he's locked himself in the warden's office, everyone else has just completely stopped. They are mesmerized by the beauty of what they hear, though they don't understand a word of it. Morgan Freeman plays a character named Red. He's been there a long time. He will die there. And he says this, I have no idea to this day what those two Italian ladies were singing about. Truth is, I don't wanna know. I'd like to think they were singing about something so beautiful it can't be expressed in words and makes your heart ache because of it. I tell you, those voices soared higher and farther than anybody in a gray place dared to dream. It was like some beautiful bird flapped into our drab little cage and made those walls dissolve away. And for the briefest of moments, every last man in Shawshank felt free. That's the power of music. That is the power of something so beautiful, even when you can't understand the words. God is the creator of music. And God has given us in his holy word these holy lyrics to carry us, to carry us on a journey of knowing him. Lyrics that teach us about him as they inform the mind. Lyrics that will cause our emotions to be aroused. Lyrics that will direct our wills and stimulate our imagination. These are God's lyrics. And this one particular psalm, I long for someone who has far more musical ability than me to put it to music because it's powerful. In each of these four situations, we have something that's not gray space, but the darkest of space. The darkest of moments in a person's life when they're coming to the end of themselves, when they've done everything they can to exhaust their resources, even for survival, and then they cry out. 
It says, then, this is the chorus, they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. So as we jump into this brief part of Psalm 107, the first part, I want you to think of it this way. There are many psalms, many types of psalms. We have psalms that are hymns, psalms that are laments, psalms that are thanksgiving, psalms of remembrance, of confidence, of wisdom and kingship. But in the midst of those, there's three categories that I think are very helpful for us as we look at each psalm. And here they are. There's psalms of orientation. Psalms of orientation are psalms that cause us to recognize who God is, the sovereign God, who he is, and who we are. Psalms of orientation are psalms that are hymns. We simply recognize who God is and we praise him. The last psalm is a psalm of orientation. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. He alone is the one worthy of that praise. So we have psalms of orientation. We also have psalms of disorientation. Psalms of disorientation are the laments. They're when the psalmist sees the condition of his life and it's a wreck. He, he's frightened. He is given into sin. The world around him is broken. He himself is disoriented and he's writing about that which is disoriented in him and in the world as he sees it. So we have psalms of orientation, psalms of disorientation. And then we have psalms of reorientation. These are psalms where the psalmist realizes what has happened and God has moved to redeem the situation. And so now his life is reoriented and these psalms are expressed in psalms of thanksgiving. Now what's wonderful about Psalm 107 is that it's all three. And that's why I wanted to start here. Look with me at Psalm 107. Open in your bullet or in the blue Bible in front of you because I want you to follow along. The psalm is very clear to its purpose. Verse one says this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So the psalmist is calling those who hear this, who sing this, who read this, who listen to this, to one thing, and that is to give thanks to God. That's it. Let the redeemed say so. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Do you know why Thanksgiving is so important? Brendan Manning in a book titled Ruthless Trust said, the greatest attribute of a trusting disciple is gratitude. Thanksgiving reminds us of what God has done for us along this journey. These pieces of music, these lyrics remind us of his faithfulness. So the psalmist calls us to give thanks. Verse one, oh, give thanks to the Lord. But then it tells us why, which is important. Why are we to give thanks to God? First, verse one, because he is good. Two weeks ago, Vincent Parker, my dear friend, preached right here. And I know you loved him. He's a dear brother, a very close friend and mentor to me. I got to go to his church. One service. Vincent had two plus the eight o'clock. We went longer than all three services combined. Some of you were there. It was an hour and 20 minutes before I even got up to preach. And then the expectation was that I would go at least that long forward. It was fun. I know you're probably thinking, oh, those poor people. 
You know, something in their culture that they have been saying for a long time is all the time, God is good. But first, someone says, God is good. It's biblical. All the time. And when they say that, the response is, all the time, God is good. Just like when we say on a Sunday morning, he is risen, you say back, he's risen indeed. They say, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. And they say it back and forth. Let's do it. Let's do it. God is good all the time. That was pretty good. But here's the point or the question. Do you believe that? You know, the truth is, if you're in Jesus, you do. And I asked the last hour the same thing. And they were like you, yes, I believe it. And then I asked this question, but does it ever feel like he's not good? And you know what encouraged me was how many people shook their head yes. And the reason it encouraged me is because that is what the psalmist is doing for us. God in his word gives us the lyric to see that there are times in this broken world when we don't understand the wilderness we're in. We don't understand the brokenness we're in. And we can say, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good but not believe it because good things don't seem to be happening to us right now. Bad things seem to be happening. The weight of brokenness, of death, of disease, of relationships torn apart, of work not going well, so many things. But the reason we keep saying God is good all the time and all the time God is good is because that's what the word tells us about God, even when we can't understand it. And so the psalmist here says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. That's why. Secondly, because his steadfast love endures forever. What does that mean? His steadfast love. First of all, God's love is perfect. You do not know another perfect love. Your wife's love for you, your husband's love for you, even on its best days, not perfect. Your love for your children, their love for you, it's never gonna be perfect. In other words, it could be stronger. It could have more affection. It could have more appropriate, whatever. God's love cannot be improved upon. For you, for me, and his love is faithful, it's steadfast, and it will be for all eternity. That's amazing. So the psalmist says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So what are the examples of his goodness? Okay, let's look at this person or this group of people for a minute. Verse four, some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. This is why the Psalms are so great. Do you hear the description? You ever felt like this person or this group of people wandering? John Calvin in teaching about the Psalms, said this, the Psalms are an anatomy of all parts of the human soul. For there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. That's an amazing statement. 
The Psalms are an anatomy of all parts of the human soul. So the parts of this individual or this group of wonders describes the person as lost, finding no way to a city, hungry, thirsty, and their soul was fainting within them. There will be three other descriptions that we'll look at next week. These people are hurting. The psalmist is so honest. The psalmist express joy and hope and sorrow and fear and anger and trust and doubt and anxiety and peace and guilt and shame and happiness and depression and longing and faith and praise and questions and confusion and clarity and on and on. It's there. This lyric of God's word, it's there for us. So this psalmist records a psalm where the wanderers are drifting, lost, hungry, thirsty, their soul melting away. Where are they? They're in the wilderness. It's harsh. It's frightening. It's dark. It's difficult. It's without resources. How does God show his goodness? This is really important. First, our God, the one we've been praising, the living God, hears our prayers. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. Verse 6. Our God knows us, knows our circumstances, knows every part of us, nothing he can learn about us, and he hears our prayers. We are called as his people to call to him. So they do. They call to them in their distress. Literally, it's a distress signal. Now, I want you to see they don't do that immediately. You'll see that in the other accounts as well. But finally, when they come to the end of themselves, they cry to the Lord in their trouble. And what does it say he does in his goodness? He delivers them from their distress. Now, this is important. How does he deliver them? The psalmist doesn't show us that the Lord comes down and picks this group of people up, these wanderers and drifters, and suddenly lifts them up and then immediately transports them into the city. That may be what they want, it may be what we want, but that's not the way God ordinarily does it. What God does is he gives them himself and he leads them. They still walk. They still move, but now they are being led, they're being guided. In other words, God never promised this side of heaven to take away our pain. If you believe otherwise, it's not true. This side of heaven, God never promised to take away our pain. What he promised was to give us himself. And he gives us himself on this journey. He gives us himself through these lyrics. He gives us himself through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And no matter what we're facing as believers, God is with us. Remember this. God told this to Moses. Moses told this to Joshua. God told this to Joshua. I'm leading you. I'm with you. I will never forsake you. What's true for them is true for us. He's leading you, my friends, if you're in Christ. He is with you. He can never forsake you. 
no matter how, how dark the wilderness you're in is. So the Lord delivers them from their distress. He does so by leading them through the harsh conditions, through the darkness, through the difficulties. He leads them from to. And the place he's leading them is to the city. Now, don't let our modern world confuse you. You may think, why would you want to go to the city? We want to retreat from the city and move to the wilderness. No, no, no. The wilderness is a place in this picture that's very dark, very broken, very frightening. The city is where the resources are. It's where you find the food, where you find the water, and that's where the Lord is leading them. They're dangerously needy, hungry and thirsty. And then what does it say? Look with me at verse nine. His goodness is revealed when it says, he satisfies the longing soul and the, the hungry soul he fills with good things. That's our God. This morning and every morning, you and I are living in a world, this side of heaven, that I believe, because God's word says so, is being redeemed. But there's still a long journey in the same direction as Eugene Peterson would say. And on that journey, we experience various wilderness type experiences. Sometimes they can be very dark, very scary. Those wilderness experiences can be physical. You get sick or a loved one gets sick. They can be emotional. You feel depressed or full of despair. They can be relational. Relationships are not going well. And they can be spiritual. Doubt that you've never known before comes in. And actually all of them could be happening at once. So what do we do? Our temptation is to do what you'll see each of the folks in these stories do. And that is try to fix it ourselves. But what the Lord teaches us is that when we come to the end of ourselves, we surrender to him. We cry to the Lord in our trouble and he delivers us from that distress. He gives us himself. How do we know? Well, let me close with this. All of the Bible is about Jesus. All of the Bible is pointing to the one who is the ultimate lyric of God, the one who is the word, Jesus. Jesus Christ, in order for his people to be redeemed, was sent to this world that he created, to this wilderness. While here, he was called to walk a perfectly righteous life so that he could be the perfect representation for us, and he did it perfectly. But it was not easy. Walking here in the midst of his creation, which because of the fall had become a pretty severe wilderness, he was even led into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. But that wasn't the only wilderness experience for Christ. We call it a garden, but it was really another wilderness where Jesus was there dripping sweats of blood, praying to the heavenly father, asking him to take this cup from him, thinking about what was about to take place. And there in that garden, he prayed, not my will be done, but your will be done. And he went on towards the cross. 
That cross was another wilderness on a, on a hill called Golgotha, the skull. And there Jesus was hammered to the cross and dropped in the ground and was there hanging, dying. And while he was hanging there dying, he actually quoted one of these lyrics, one of these psalms. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the reason he cried that out was because that's what he was experiencing as the weight of our sin and the wrath, the perfect holy wrath of the Father was being poured out on him. He was crying out, why have you forsaken me? He was crying out, it is finished. Because when it was, what that meant was that all who trust in Jesus could never be forsaken by God, ever. That is his love song, love story to us. And Jesus Christ experienced all of that brokenness so that he could be the one to whom we could cry out, deliver me. Deliver me, deliver me, and he does. He gives us himself, and he leaves us with the Holy Spirit. But this side of heaven, our temptation, once again, is to trust in self, to sing a different song. And the song is about me, my ability, my power. It doesn't work. The song that we're going to close with, don't open a hymnal yet, just listen, is one you know well. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. My friends, that's the truth. And it's why we sing. It's why we sing the lyrics of God as we close with this song, if you're at a place where you need God's deliverance, cry out even as we sing. Andrew is going to sing the first verse. And then I will stand us. And let's sing the last. But let's sing it through the eyes of the one in this psalm. The one deliverer, Jesus Christ.